Let's pray. Draw us into yourself that by your spirit we are one body. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread your ancestors ate and then they died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples who heard this said, this message is harsh. Who can hear it? Jesus knew that the disciples were grumbling about this and he said to them, does this offend you? What if you were to see the human one going up where he was before? The spirit is the one who gives life and the flesh doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Yet some of you don't believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who wouldn't believe and the one who would betray him. He said, for this reason I said to you that none can come to me unless the Father enables them to do so. At this, many of his disciples turned away and no longer accompanied him. Jesus asked the twelve, do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are God's holy one. This is the word of God. That's how this scripture makes me feel. Edward Monk does a great job of evoking sheer and utter terror. The person in this painting clenches their face so tightly, it's as if they think their head's going to fly right off their shoulders, like they're barely hanging on to their sanity. I imagine that must be how the disciples felt. Scripture says that many of them turned away because Jesus' message was too harsh, too hard to hear. I bet they ran screaming, desperately hanging on to their sanity. It is a harsh message. Not to mention bizarre. You must eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's just gross. Yet somehow, somehow our lives depend on our ability to comprehend and to accept this teaching. The youth discernment team is in the final stages of its work. If you remember, the youth discernment team was convened just after the first of the year to move through a prayerful process of discernment to try and learn how we might better connect with and relate to and accompany our youth on their faith journey. Not only those that are currently in our congregation, but those we haven't met yet out in our mission field. 
We've been accompanied in this work by the Reverend Dr. David White, who is a professor at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. He has extensive practical experience in youth ministry, and he spent much of his career researching and has written several books on the topic. These last eight months have certainly been a journey. By the way, before I go on, I'd like to recognize all those who've been a part of the team. If you're part of the youth discernment team, would you please stand up so that we can recognize you as well? We have youth, people of all generations that have been a part of the team. Thank you. They've been troopers, I tell you what. This process has actually been really fun because we've gotten to engage more intentionally and more personally with our youth who are amazing people. We've gotten to meet with them during Sunday school classes, at various events that they have, at some of their regular meetings that they have throughout the week. We've gotten to hear from them through surveys, through video and picture submissions. It's been really enlightening. We've certainly learned a lot. We've learned a lot about the history of adolescence. We've learned about how, as a culture, we have come to live into our current understanding of what it means to be secular. We've learned about how our understanding of what it means to be Christian in terms of what we believe and how we practice our faith has evolved over time. It's absolutely been enlightening. But I also have to say at times, it was grueling. I mean, we struggled at times to integrate all that we had learned. To stru We've struggled with having patience with the process. Discernment is not very glamorous. It takes patience and it takes time. There were times when many of us, I suspect, I know me for sure, wanted to run screaming. Well, we met this past Monday to begin to identify some aims and some strategies for our youth ministry based on all that we've learned so far in the early stages, um, based on what we've learned through listening to our youth. If you read the newsletter that came out this past week, you'll know that we um, have identified three areas that we have been focusing on, three areas that are, of, that are very significant to our youth. First of all, we found out that youth they don't really find church relevant. And it's not their fault. They come by it honestly. As a society, we have come, as a result of modern secularization, to live in these two very distinct spheres. This central sphere is where we live our public lives. That's where we engage in things like politics, commerce, work, school, all of those things that make up our lives, our daily lives. And then there's this outer sphere. That's where we conduct our private lives. And at this point, we've delegated the spiritual and the religious to this outside sphere. It remains sort of on the margins and we keep these two spheres distinctly segregated. There was a time when as a society, our spiritual lives permeated all the areas of our lives, it was central. I'm not sure there really were spheres because all of life was touched by faith, was touched by our religion. As recently as the 16th century, it was almost impossible to not believe in God. But now in the 21st century, it's almost impossible to believe in God. Second, 
what we've learned, again, not necessarily a big surprise, but we've learned that our youth are under an enormous amount of stress. Again, a reflection of society as a whole, I think. And they're under stress for any number of reasons. First of all, they face very high expectations. Some of those expectations are self-imposed. Some of them come from the outside, come from teachers or coaches or parents or even their peers. We are a highly competitive society. Once upon a time, success was defined as providing a good enough life for your family. It was about having enough to eat, having sufficient shelter, having good enough clothes, access to some health care. It was about being a part of a community and contributing to the well-being of that community. All of that was enough to have meaningful and happy lives. But with the explosion of media, with the explosion of entertainment media, with news media, with social media, we have begun as a society to compare ourselves and our lives against the most extravagant lifestyles out there. Lifestyles that are often misrepresented. I mean, we only post our best moments on Facebook, right? So we've become as a society to compare ourselves, and as a result, we are striving for what is largely a number of very unrealistic goals. And so as we struggle toward that, we overfunction in an attempt to perform at these unsustainable levels. And that, coupled with the exponential rate at which the cost of higher education has increased, leaves middle and high schoolers with unprecedented pressure. Pressure to take and ace every single advanced course that's offered, while simultaneously being the best at what better be more than one um, extracurricular activity, while chairing every single club or volunteer organization that they've become a part of, and trying to build this resume that will allow them to go to a good school and get as much scholarship as possible. So of course, our youth, they are so crazily overscheduled, which makes for very long days and very short nights, which means they're sleep deprived, they're exhausted. And this exhaustion just feeds the stress. So it becomes this cycle. It's a huge mess. Finally, not surprisingly, we found that friendships are extremely important to our youth. But what we also found, that I found surprising at least, is that relationships with those from older generations are also important to our youth. And this wasn't a statistical finding based on developmental psychology. It was not some scholarly understanding that youth benefit from relationships with people in older generations. This was what the youth told us based on our conversations that we had with them, based on the surveys that we received back, the youth said they want to know people like me. They want to hang out with us. I found that surprising. <laughs> and encouraging. And a little bit frightening. Because as the realization dawned, I began to realize that to have a vital and meaningful youth ministry it might require a whole lot more of me, a whole lot more of us than I first anticipated. 
as the weight of what Jesus calls his hearers to dawns on them, they're scared. For the Jews that Jesus is addressing, it's very confusing. They've grown up on stories of Moses and manna in the desert. Remember the bread from heaven that came down and fed their ancestors as they moved through the Exodus? This pillar of the faith gave them the commandments that came down to him from God. And they follow them. These are faithful Jews. They think they've got it all figured out. And now Jesus says, there's something more. There's more than what Moses offered. There's something more than manna. There's something more than the law. Jesus is calling them into so much more. Something much deeper, highly ambiguous. It's not defined by a set of rules or a structure of law. They're called to follow a person, Jesus. And it's something that's going to require so much more of them than they ever anticipated. Y'all, Jesus has been going on and on and on about bread for the last 60 verses of John's gospel. It all started when he fed the more than 5,000 men, women, and children on that sack lunch from that child. And since then, frankly, Jesus has worn that bread metaphor slap out. I mean, he's talking about bread that perishes. He's talking about bread that gives eternal life. He's talking about the true bread of heaven. He's talking about the bread that he is, his body, the bread that we must eat if we're to live. It is a harsh message, very hard to swallow. No wonder they want to run screaming. He wants them to abide in him. What does that mean? We're to remain in Christ, to dwell in him, to make our home there, to live in Jesus. Somehow he wants us to experience the very same relationship that he experiences with God. It's beautiful language. It's evocative. It's poetic. I mean, I can see it. I can imagine it. It even makes me long for this intimacy that Jesus is inviting us into. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it means. I mean, what is it exactly that this relationship will do to me? How will it change who I am? How will it change my understanding of what it means to live a good life? How will it cause me to change how I prioritize my life? It is a harsh teaching, very hard to hear. Yet the disciples know somehow, and I think we know on some level, that our lives depend upon it which is the single most important thing that I've taken away from the youth discernment process. All of our lives, all of our lives, our children, our youth, the adults among us, all of us, and the life of the church absolutely depend upon this harsh and very frightening teaching 
this call that asks so much more of us. It's not hard to not, or it is hard to not run screaming, hanging on so tightly to my head that it won't fly off and hanging on to the life that I'm used to, the life that's comfortable for me. The Jews who hear this message from Jesus certainly feel this way. Many of them walk away. They return to what it is they know, to what they understand. They return to Moses, to manna, to the law. One commentator says about this scripture, we prefer religion over God. I think he's got a point. If by religion you mean following a set of rules and order, having some means of judging whether or not we make successful church people, that's much easier than God, at least this God, this God that Jesus calls us to relate to, this God who is mysterious, this God who takes on flesh to abide with us, a God who wants to make their home with and in us and who desires authentic and intimate relationship, who desires communion with us. It's a sacramental relationship, this relationship between God and Jesus, the relationship that God desires with us through Jesus, this relationship that God calls us to as the body of Christ, as a community of faith. That's the single most important thing that I've learned through our youth discernment process Without all of us, without every single one of us investing ourselves in one another, across generations, without all of us investing ourselves, our time and our energy into the lives of our children and our youth, we will not have vital ministries for children and youth. We won't have vital ministries that serve the young people in our community because it's not so much about shaping the perfect children's or youth ministry as it is about shaping a community, a community that forms all of us in faith through this relationship that God calls us to, this sacramental dwelling with and in one another's lives. We are to share life with one another, share life in the same way that we're called to take in consume the flesh and blood, the very life of Christ. Because we are one body, and every single one of us matters to its well-being. We can't thrive as a community until each of us thrives individually. We have to be invested in one another. It is a lot to swallow. I'll give you a minute. In youth ministry, one of the things that I learned is there's this rule. I had never heard of it before. It's called the rule of five. Maybe you have heard of it, but the rule of five asserts that the single most important factor, the single most determining influence to a good outcome that will predict that a young person will thrive is that they know that at least five adults love them. That's different 
from every single youth having five adults who love them. It says each youth needs to know that five adults love them. They need to experience it through time spent together, through support and empathy and grace and laughter and tears and all the things that authentic relationship entails. So here's the deal. This discernment that we've been engaged in for the past eight or nine months, it reaches beyond our committee. Discernment becomes a responsibility of our entire community. Will we run screaming? Or will we remain in Christ? Will we remain as Christ's body, a community of believers who say with Peter, well, where else are we going to go? We know that Jesus speaks the words that bring life. We're called instead to feast on the love that draws all of us into the life of God and into the lives of one another as the body, the flesh and blood of Jesus the Christ. It's a hard teaching. It's hard to hear. And our lives depend upon it. Amen.